Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, another day, another example of glaring NDP incompetence. It's been almost a year since the NDP Cabinet approved an inept plan to shut down and demolish the Royal BC Museum, wanting to leave a gaping hole for almost a decade. And let's not forget this Premier's personal support for that billion-dollar vanity project. In fact, when asked about it, he doubled down, had his office tell the media, and I quote, he agrees with the project as well as the proposal and business case, end of quote. Now, fortunately, the combination of the opposition and the public uproar forced the government to pull a plug on a project that nobody asked for and nobody wanted. But bizarrely, the museum remains largely boarded up with the iconic Old Town exhibit on the third floor remaining completely closed off. Tourists and children now get to see a largely empty museum, depriving the province of one of its most popular destinations. So a simple question for the Premier. Will the Premier stop the endless consultations, be a leader and reopen the museum, especially the entire third floor, so people can finally enjoy the museum's exhibits, especially the old town, and do it now? Minister of Citizens Services. Uh, thank you, Speaker. And, and I want to thank the Leader of the Opposition for the question because it's a really great chance to talk about the Royal BC Museum, which is truly special to all of us here in the House and to all British Columbians. We know how important. Members. Minister will continue. Thank you, Chair. Uh, we know how important this museum is to people and the ties that they have to it over the years. We know how popular the third floor exhibits have been to people and also how problematic it has been to others, which is why uh, the museum is undertaking extensive consultation as we speak. But we also know that there's an opportunity to use what's there, modernize it, and highlight the real history of British Columbia, to tell all the stories. I know the minister has spoken uh, with the chair of the museum, the CEO of the museum, made it very clear her interest in having the third floor open to the public with an updated story of British Columbia. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. <laughs> well, Mr. Speaker, government's taken the expression, nothing to see here, folks, to a whole new level when it comes to the museum. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, the NDP incompetence doesn't just end with the museum itself. Let's talk about the disaster of the separate collections facility project in Colwood where the NDP wanted to temporarily relocate the artifacts from the billion-dollar museum they were going to build over to a new site in Colwood. It was supposed to cost $177 million and be completed in 2024. Surprise, surprise, costs have already gone up by 30% and are still climbing. And the site remains an empty field today, even though construction was supposed to have started last year. You know, you'd almost think the NDP don't know what the heck they're doing. <laughs> There's absolutely no chance 
that the delays and budget runs are over. In fact, I'm going to make a prediction. I'll predict that those costs will be well over $350 million and it will be years behind schedule by the time it finally gets completed. So again, my question to the Premier, what is the current cost of the separate collections facility project today and will he come clean with the public of British Columbia and admit that this is a complete and total waste of taxpayer dollars? Minister. Hi, thank you, Chair. Um, so we have over 7 million artifacts at the Royal BC Museum. This is our shared collective history of all of British Columbia, and there's global history as well. We have the largest collection of Emily Carrs. We have dinosaurs. We have uh, antiquities from all across the world. 7 million pieces that currently many of them are sitting below sea level and at risk, which is why our government made the commitment to build the collections and research building, to have a safe, modern, accessible space for researchers, for people to view these collections and engage with these treasures that we have. We're going to continue that work, uh, Honourable Speaker, and we're very proud of that. Leader of the Official Opposition, second supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. So we'll note that there was absolutely no answer to the question of how much it's going to cost. No surprise. Well, but frankly, Mr. Speaker, uh, the public of British Columbia deserves a lot more than an empty field in Colwood and a half-empty Royal BC Museum. It has been 15 months since the government abruptly closed down the old town on the third floor without any public consultation. And the rationale keeps changing constantly. First, the former minister said, well, it was a result of decolonization. Then she switched her story and said, and I quote, exhibits like the old town are full of asbestos, end of quote. Next, it was seismic issues, claiming the entire building was an imminent risk of collapsing, apparently. And now, I'm hearing the Minister talk about the flood issues that they're so apparently concerned about. And just this week, the current Minister said, and I quote, I'm not in charge of old, old Town, end of quote. It's time for the Premier to stop with the excuses and just show some leadership for once. When will the Premier scrap the collections facility and commit today to immediately open up the third floor and get Old Town open so the public can enjoy it? Minister. Thank you, Speaker. Well, it's only the BC Liberals who would think scrapping a protected collection and research building and leaving the Douglas Treaty at risk is a good idea. <laughs> only the BC Liberals would think the largest collection in the world of Emily Carrs being at risk of flooding due to seismic instability is Members. a bad idea. Members, members, wait for the next question, please. Minister will continue. Thank you, Chair. Our government has made some very important commitments to the public, to the people of British Columbia. We are out there. Uh, the museum is out uh, consultating right now with the public, with Indigenous communities, uh, to see what it is they want for a modern museum. We made that commitment when we're doing that work. We made the commitment to protect 
are treasures that we have in BC. Members, Minister will continue. Th thank you, Chair. We've made that commitment to the people of British Columbia to protect these shared treasures, which we all hold dear. And we've made the commitment to the people of British Columbia to have a new modern museum, which... Members, members, please. Finish Thank off, you. A new modern ma museum which shares the collective history that we all have together. And that's what we're going to do, Honourable Speaker. Thank you. Member for Skina. Mr. Speaker, the Royal BC Museum does hold some treasure artifacts on behalf of all British Columbians. So, it only stands to reason it deserves more than 15 months of incompetence. It deserves more. I mean, none of this makes any sense. I mean, pick an excuse that you've disclosed over the last 15 minutes, minute, uh, months and run with it. Pick just one, <laughs> not five or six. Your story keeps changing. The excuse about decolonization was nothing but political posturing by the NDP. And I did question the then tourism minister about this, and the story changed. They claimed it was being closed for decolonization. And then the story became about asbestos. Let's blame it on asbestos. And then, now we have the minister of tourism claiming that it was never torn down in the first place. And now it's about flooding. All this started with a billion dollar museum that nobody wanted, nobody asked for and then the BC government had to pull it back. The truth is that the third floor of the Royal BC Museum remains shut down and nobody knows if or when it's going to open. So, a simple question to the Premier. Will he give us a straight answer? Is the third floor of the museum going to reopen or not? And if so, when? Exactly. <laughs> Minister of Citizen Services. Thank you, Speaker, and I appreciate the question. Um, you know, the members opposite should know very well uh, the reports of asbestos and the concerns that were had with the museum. They weren't new. The members of their cabinet had as well, as well. so I'm surprised uh, that the members are asking that. Members, hold it, Minister. When the question was asked, shh, members, when the question was asked, the courtesy was given to listen to the question. Now let's do the same thing to hear the answer. Minister will continue. Thank you, Chair. We made a commitment to British Columbians to modernize the museum. This was a, 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 a commitment that our Premier talked about, that we shared with British Columbians so that we could protect the artifacts that we have in our collective history. The Minister has uh, spoken with the CEO and the Chair of the museum and expressed her interest in having the third floor open. She has made that very clear. Um, we are not in charge of operations of the museum. Obviously, the chair and the CEO will make these decisions. We have made our position clear, and we uh, will continue to work with them so that we can find a way to open the third floor and share our collective history in a way that shares all of our stories. Thank you. Member for Skinner Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And it seems that we're going to continue with the mixed messages. 
Uh, I only uh, want to see what the message could be next week, because we already covered flooding, asbestos, decolonization. Uh, I don't, I don't know what else there is, uh, because the story keeps changing. Members, you're heckling your own member. Oh, that's that's the Green Party. That's the Green Party. Member will continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, I spoke at a turn here when I said that the, the museum was shut down. It's not totally shut down. Uh, the minister is offering private tours of the third floor and claiming that Old Town remains intact. So it's closed to the public, but it's not closed to everybody. This is, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. After 15 months, after the public said they don't want a billion dollar refit, they just want the museum to be open for the public. That's what the public wants. So either the third floor is unsafe or the asbestos ricks were overblown because people are actually viewing it with private tours or there, there's going to be a flood happening. What, what is it? <laughs> so again, to the Premier, is the third floor still intact or not? And most importantly, when will it reopen? Minister. Uh, thank you, Speaker, and, and I thank the member for the question. This is the fifth question, and the answer hasn't changed, so I'm not sure why the member is confused. The minister has made it very clear that she uh, intends to see the members, third floor open. Members, please continue. Thank you. That she intends to see the third floor open. Uh, uh, she's had this conversation with the CEO and the chair. The work was already underway for that. Uh, the RECM was working on reopening the third floor uh, uh, when I had the portfolio a few months ago uh, to, to include a, to include a, uh, an exhibition called Sue, the T-Rex experience. Members, members. So this work is ongoing, and we're going to continue doing that work. We're going to continue to protect our incredible collections that we have in the museum. We're going to continue to bring modern exhibits like the wildlife photographer exhibit uh, of, of the year exhibit that opened in December. This work is ongoing with the museum. We're going to continue to provide um, We're going to continue to provide world-class exhibitions for people that they want to see, and we're going to continue uh, the work on the third floor because we intend to see it open. Thank you. House Leader, third party. I apologize for the outburst earlier, Mr. Speaker, but this is quite activating this this conversation, this whatever it is that's going on in here. The recognition needs to be made from this government that our stuff, the stuff that my uncle that I talked about had to go visit our, our, our cultural uh, so-called artifacts in that place were locked behind the closed doors. And those are not being transported out to the safe place for storage, Mr. Speaker. Those are staying in the building that's going to fall down. That's what we've been told. So yeah, this is an activating conversation for those of us who have sacred items locked away in the glass cases of those museums. Mr. Speaker, the British Columbia economy experiences boom and bust cycles. There are many factors, including commodity prices and access to natural resources. The completion of four major mega projects over the next two years will end thousands of jobs and billions of dollars 
in economic activity, Mr. Speaker. LNG Canada, Coastal Gas Link, Site C, Trans Mountain. Uh, these are worth a combined $88 billion and employ 18,000 people on average in northern BC and the lower mainland. Through your Honourable Speaker to the Premier, what's his plan for these workers? Member for Jobs and Economic Development. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. We know how important it is to keep people working. We've seen significant impacts as mills curtail, for example, and to the member's example as well. That's why we've created the $90 million Jobs Manufacturing Fund, Mr. Speaker. It's one example of the work that we're doing to ensure economic diversity in our province. It's so important that people can find well-paying jobs wherever they live in the province, Mr. Speaker. It's important to us. We're doing that work, and we'll continue. Member Supplemental. Uh, it's $88 billion worth of uh, economic activity that's being generated by 18,000 jobs, and the minister provided roughly $20 million response to that. The context is way out of whack, Mr. Speaker. It's remarkable that this BC NDP government is allowing the hope of the LNG industry, an industry that they know makes no sense in a climate emergency, to continue to burn. I imagine this is because under their plan, these workers will be working in the handful of new LNG and pipeline projects that are currently being speculated on in our province. It appears that this BC NDP government is poised to make fracked gas the next forest fibre. Neither the Premier nor his ministers will close the door on future fossil fuel expansion. We've given them several opportunities just this week and before. Mr. Speaker, through you to the Premier, is he planning on keeping these workers busy on the handful of new gas liquefaction and pipeline projects, such as the Enbridge project, which is currently being proposed in this province? Minister of Transportation. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate the member's question. Um, it's a bit perplexing because the projects he listed and the job creation and the economic activity associated with them are all projects that, to my knowledge, he opposed. Uh, but I, I can tell him that the workforce, the heavy construction workforce in this province, will be utilized on and are being utilized on major infrastructure. Uh, projects right across British Columbia today. There are even workers who have been working on pipeline projects constructing the Kicking Horse Canyon Phase 4 right now. We have workers who have, are working on the Broadway Subway Tunnel project right through Vancouver. We have the largest capital infrastructure investment plan in the province's history. And by, and by investing in the skills of workers in this province, Mr. Speaker, we are creating the capacity to do even more infrastructure projects that will develop a modern economy in the province of British Columbia. Member for Nechako Lakes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I also find it interesting that the House Leader from the Green Party was uh, talking about all these projects that are hiring thousands and thousands of people. One can only hope 
that there is additional projects that those people will be working on. Um, but we do have a labour problem in this province, Mr. Speaker. The challenge we have, quite frankly, is that our healthcare system is in a crisis. And there are literally you know, hundreds of workers that are needed right across this province, professionals that are needed in our emergency rooms and providing services in our hospitals. So a simple question to the health minister. When will this government do the right thing and hire back BC's healthcare heroes, providers who were fired or who quit because of mandates and disrespect? Minister of Health. Oh, uh, thank you uh, very much. Honourable Speaker, as the member will know, uh, there are 38,000 more people working in our health care system today than there were in other He'll know, Honourable Speaker, he'll know, Honourable Speaker, that uh, we uh, uh, have a health human resources plan with 70 actions that are dealing with recruitment, they're dealing with pathways for internationally educated doctors and nurses, they're increasing the number of spaces, they're creating new medical schools, Honourable Speaker. These are the actions required as we need to continue to build out our health care system to meet existing demand. We are working with those who work in health care, uh, such as doctors, who approved our most recent master agreement by 94 percent, resident doctors, who approved by 98 percent, ambulance paramedics, who, who uh, endorsed this plan by 96 percent working together. With respect to Honourable Speaker, With respect, Honourable Speaker, to COVID-19 uh, uh, requirements, the people who are treated, for example, in our acute care hospitals in BC are by definition the most vulnerable people in the province. There are 10,000 of them in acute care hospitals today, as we speak today, about 10,004. And they are, as everybody knows, after three years of this pandemic in a couple of weeks, Honourable Speaker, the most vulnerable to COVID-19 and its negative effects. It's why British Columbia and the Provincial Health Officer acted, Honourable Speaker, to ensure that those who work in our public health care system are vaccinated. And we will continue to do that. The issue, Honourable Speaker, is not mandates. It's COVID-19. The issue is the safety of patients and staff, and we will continue to act on that and continue to see these decisions made by the Provincial Health Officer and not by politicians. Member from Nechako Lake, supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. What I find interesting is every other province in this country has done the right thing and removed the mandates. And they've removed the mandates, Mr. Speaker, because they know they need the health care professionals in the system. And it's great that the health minister is talking about all these improvements to a system, but the priority should be patience, not a system. The priority needs to be to make sure that we get the professionals we need to be able to provide those services for patients. So once again, when will this government come to the realization that patients are, should be the centre of health care, not the system, and hire back BC's health care heroes? Minister of Health. Honourable, Honourable Speaker, that decision was made with patients in mind. One of the reasons why, I think, and um, Everybody in BC deserves credit for that, for this. Not the Minister of Health, not someone else, everybody in BC. That BC's COVID-19 response was amongst the best in the world. 
Honourable Speaker, was because. <laughs> We acted, Honourable Speaker, with unprecedented speed to support patients and healthcare workers. It is patients in our hospitals, Honourable Speaker, and I can tell you from personal experience, Honourable Speaker, of our family, how vulnerable patients are in long-term care, residents are in long-term care, how vulnerable patients are in acute care hospitals. And to take actions when people are their most vulnerable and they're being treated for cancer and heart disease and other questions, to take actions to protect them from the effects of a pandemic that has affected the entire world and killed people in the thousands in BC, in the millions across the world, Honourable Speaker. To take action, yes, BC was the only province in Canada to take this action. Yes, BC led the way, and we're going to continue to do so. Member for Caribou Chilcotin. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let's talk for a moment about the Premier's caucus of chaos and their latest insults to British Columbians. During throne speech debate this week, the Premier's appointed Parliamentary Secretary for Rural Development had some very disparaging things to say. He said that supporting our natural resource sector was, and I quote, uninspiring. And worse, he said a vision for what rural communities were a hundred years ago." End quote. Mr. Speaker, frankly, it's unbelievable to me that a person the Premier has personally picked to fight for real, rural BC has just given up and says he thinks it's uninspiring. Our natural resources and industries have supported the livelihoods of generations of hard-working British Columbians, including many people who used to vote for the NDP. Mr. Speaker, whether it's forestry, natural gas, mining, hydro, ranching, you name it, you just don't seem to care. Will the Premier stand up today, publicly reject these ridiculous and insulting comments from his point person for rural BC, and tell him to do his job and start fighting for our natural resource sector instead of insulting resource workers from across this province? Government House Leader. Honourable Speaker, you will not find many people that are as strong advocates for rural communities as you will as the Parliamentary Secretary. For Members, 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 okay, members, Minister Speaker, We hear from mayors, from chambers, from local government officials all across BC who want to see more economic development in rural communities. Yes, resource development is important. No one is denying resource development is not important. It is critically important. Members, Minister will continue. 
But, Honourable Speaker, we can do more. We can have advanced manufacturing in rural communities. We have tech companies in rural communities. Rural communities are not just resource development, Honourable Speaker. Rural communities are a whole host of economic development. Speaker, perhaps it's the narrow definition of what economic development in rural communities is from this member is the problem. So, Honourable Speaker, we're going to continue to make investments to diversify our economy, to diversify economic development opportunities in rural communities. We believe rural uh, economies can be more than just resource development. They can be a whole host of initiatives. We've announced many things. We're going to announce many more, Honourable Speaker. Member for Courtney East. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. It, it's a great day today in the legislature when we hear members of the Green Party celebrate and recognize the economic activities that our natural resource brings and the minister to double down with his own lip service of the same. But sadly enough, our premier is ashamed. He's ashamed of our resource sector, and there's no question about it. Last month, during his keynote address at the Natural Resource Forum in Prince George, he couldn't even bring himself to mention the initials LNG. And in his first 90 days, he managed to lose 12,000 manufacturing and natural resource jobs. And what does the Premier's parliamentary secretary have to say to those workers that lost their jobs? Oh well, you're too uninspiring and too last century for us. Newsflash to the Premier, these are not sunset industries. Why on earth should any worker in forestry, mining or natural gas trust a Premier who is ashamed of the work they do to pay the bills in this province. Yeah. Minister of Jobs and Economic Development. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you for the question. But nothing could be further from the truth, Mr. Speaker. Our natural resources members, members, let's hear is the answer. so important to our economy, and it's so members. important to us, Mr. Speaker. I had the opportunity to attend the Natural Resources Forum in Prince George and met firsthand with many workers in the sector, Mr. Speaker. We met with folks who were impacted by mill curtailment, and we're talking to them about what their needs are, Mr. Speaker. It's so important that we provide supports, and we're doing that, Mr. Speaker. $185 million in last year's budget, specifically to support workers, Mr. Speaker, things like bridging to retirement and skills training, Mr. Speaker. Skills training, so important, so important. Members, and we know members, that we wait. Need, we know that we need... Members, members. Minister will conclude. We know that we need to ensure that there are well-paying jobs in these communities, Mr. Speaker, and we're doing that work in a number of different ways. The Jobs Manufacturing Plan is one example, the $90 million. But I want to tell you what is inspiring, Mr. Speaker. What is inspiring is the work of my colleague, the Parliamentary Secretary, who created the Reddit program. The Reddit program was a result of... Members. Members. Members, enough. Minister, please conclude. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My colleague, the Parliamentary Secretary on this file, worked very closely with rural communities to create the Reddit program, Mr. Speaker. It's an excellent program, funded at $35 million. He met with people throughout the regions to design this program. It's been well over-prescribed, and I'm hearing from staff that the applications are excellent, Mr. Speaker. He does great work. I'm very proud to call him a colleague. The veteran support continues.